When was the last time that you felt rich? You remember that? If you can think back that far. I remember where I was. I was it was 1999. I was in middle school. I, had, I was seventh grade. I had just got my first job. I was actually working here at the church. My first job as a custodian. I was helping out in an assistant kind of role. And I remember, I remember that first paycheck. It was after the first two weeks of work. And I took it home, and I looked at that amount. It was about $165. I was like, what in the world am I going to do with all of this cheddar? What am I going to do? What am I going to do with this money? Stack it high and deep. I, I, I remember thinking, like, it was five bucks a week was my allowance, ten bucks a week, and in two short weeks... $165. I, I was convinced this was generational changing amounts of money. I was going to give this to my grandbabies, grandbabies, portions of this money. It was so much. So I didn't know what to do with it, but fortunately my parents, they, they could help me with this. They could help me understand how to answer that question. And they had a list of things. And uh, they sure took advantage of that. So... Um, they actually, this is true, they like, like, great, here's a cell phone. I'm like, I don't want a cell phone, then you can find me. Then I, have, I can't hide from you. And they're like, this is your cell phone, take it. And also, we need to pay for it, so. Um, they did that, but. Yeah, so uh, feeling rich is something kind of like, you know, feeling fit. You, maybe there was one day in your life you felt fit. Um, you, I don't know if you ever feel fit. You know, you never look in the mirror and go, I'm fit. Even your fit friends, right? You go up to them and be like, bro, you're fit. And they're like, no, I'm not. And they're not being fake humble. They genuinely don't think they're that fit. They're like, there's always somebody. There's always somebody above them. Well, let me help you out a little bit today, okay? I'm going to give you a stat. It's a fact. This is fact. This is not like a stat that needs context. The context for this stat is reality, okay? That's the context for this stat. And this stat is, um, is not an alternate universe. It is the world we live in right now, current, today, 2019. Ready for this? If, if your household income is uh, at 32,400 or greater, you are in the top 1% of household incomes on planet Earth. 99% of humans alive and breathing right now would say you are in the top 1%. They are not in that world that you live in. And whenever I announce that stat, like I don't see anybody elbowing their spouse being like, honey, we've made it. We've arrived. Like no one's clapping like, well, let's go out to Chick-fil-A today. <laughs> I mean, you could go out to Chick-fil-A. So, I mean, no, one, no, no one's like, because you don't feel it, right? Like, we don't live in the context of that reality. We have kind of our own echo chamber of what reality is and, and what we think wealth is. And you never feel rich, right? Well, in Jesus' day, you would be able to relate because they didn't feel rich. Most of Jesus' crowds, when he talks about his teaching, the people he preaches to, most of those people, man, they weren't rich. And remember, like, even average, even middle class back then was poor. They're, middle class is like an industrial revolution thing. In the last 6,000 years of human history, only the last 100 of them, we've had this thing called the middle class. Most of human history, which is 
true of what, what it was like in the first century for Jesus was the aristocrats, the, the noble families, right, having all the money, and then everybody else has nothing. I mean, they just live off the land and try and make, get by with stuff. Uh, most of their offerings are first fruits, literally because they didn't have money, they had fruit. They had first fruit. They just gave food. You're not rich. Most of Jesus' people and his audience not only didn't feel rich, they were objectively poor, objectively pop, impoverished. But here's what's true about Jesus' teaching. So it's not, that's the people, that's his audience. But here's what's true of Jesus' teaching. Debatably, the number two most taught on subject in Jesus' teaching, remember, to people who were objectively poor, was on the topic of money and possessions. <laughs> These people had no money or possessions, but it comprised a, one of the most frequently addressed topics in Jesus' teaching was on money and possessions. Question, uh, what then is the problem with money if you don't have it? So you don't have to deal with it, right? There's no problem with money if you don't have money. Unless the problem with money is not having it. Like not having money. Money is not the problem and the problem with money. Well, let's look at a passage where Jesus is going to teach on money. And the whole reason he starts this little message on teaching, this little teaching on money is because he's talking to a guy who has no money. The reason he's even addressing Jesus is because he has no money. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. And um, you know this is going to be a good sermon today because my Bible is enormous. The bigger the Bible, the more holy I am. So that's in the Bible somewhere in here. I haven't gotten to that part yet, but here it is, in here somewhere. Um, Luke chapter 12, verse 13 is where we're going to start. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So again, he has no money because his brother's hoarding all of it. Sounds like my brother. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Um, but he said to him, he said to Jesus, or he said to this guy, he said, man, who made me judge or arbor over you? I don't know why I said man. I like to think it's like man, like man. Who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, the crowd, the rest of the people there, he says, take care. This is Jesus talking. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of of his possessions. So what Jesus just did there, as again, he tells a guy who has got no possessions <laughs> to be careful. But here's why. It's because the possessions aren't the problem. That's not the source of the problem. It's, it's not the money. It's not the possessions. The source is in here. It was a desire. Covetousness is a desire to have what you don't currently possess. Okay? Jesus identifies the problem, and then he, give us, he gives us four attributes of this problem. Number one, this is a problem. It's a, it's a problem of the heart but it begins in a, with a bad assumption in the head. Every bad affection you have in your heart is linked to a bad assumption up here, and they fuel each other. And Jesus gives you what the bad assumption is. This is the bad assumption. He says it in that second half. I'm going to summarize it for you. This is it. Having equals living. That's the bad assumption. The bad assumption is that having equals living, and that creates a bad affection for things, for having things. And the other thing, the other three parts of this is number one uh, with this issue, 
Number one, we have to be on guard about it. Listen, um, if, you, if you turn off the sermon right now, if you're watching online, or if you, you know, are listening, you're like, I don't really deal with this. I don't need to tune it out. I'm going to get ready for my fantasy football game today. If that's you, I'm just going to say, you've literally just done the opposite of what Jesus just said. Because to assume that you have this down, the moment you think you've arrived at dealing with covetousness or greed in your life is the day you dismantle your guard against it, right? You can take down the guards because you've already accomplished this. You can take less care because you've already accomplished this. Jesus puts us all on equal footing this morning and says all of us need to be on guard and proactively guarding against this. And number two, the number two thing is it's subtle. You don't have to be on guard against something that's really obvious, like bumbles around like a fool. It's like, oh, there's covetousness. No, no, this is not obvious. It is subtle, meaning it's a problem in your life before you know it's a problem. And by the time you know it's a problem, it's too late or it's done a lot of violence in your life. So you, it's, not, it's subtle. It, you will not openly feel this thing all the time, but it doesn't mean it's not there and happening. And the last thing, the last third thing about this is it's a serious problem. Anytime you have a bad assumption about what life is all about, like when you say having equals living, which is what Jesus is saying is the problem. Every time you make an assumption about what life is about, it's a life and death matter if you get it wrong. It's a, it's a very serious problem to make an assumption about what life is about. What is the source of life? Be wrong about that. It's only death. There's only two sides of that coin, life and death. You're either moving toward life or you're moving toward death. And to make an assumption that is wrong about what life is, is a life and death matter. No wonder. Maybe, maybe no wonder, it is, it's no wonder why Jesus talked about this a lot. So he keeps talking about it. He actually goes, he expands on this. He paints this with another paintbrush and he tells us a story. It's a parable. And I'm going to read that here. It it's, uh, picks up in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I've got nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'm going to build some bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods and all my iPhones and my Xbox. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and then we'll be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and these things you have prepared, whose will they be? Well, they might belong to your sons who will bicker over them. Isn't it interesting? Brilliant. Jesus is brilliant. Guy asked him about inheritance. He tells a story about inheritance from the context of eternity. And so often in our lives, our problems we're wrestling with, we're wrestling with, I need my inheritance or I need this thing. And Jesus steps in and says, okay, let's deal with that problem from the grave. Uh, one of my mentors told me once, he said, Brian, make your biggest decisions in life in a graveyard standing there because that's where you're going to end up someday. It will bring context to your issues, your challenges, the things you pray about, think about. I still do that today. But what was the guy foolish about? I mean, what was, he, what was, what was foolish about this guy? Well, it wasn't amassing wealth. You can't find in scripture any biblical net worth. So it's like, okay, from this number down is godly and from this number up is ungodly. That's not in the Bible. Good luck finding that. It's not in there. So amassing wealth is not a sin. Storing up wealth is not a sin. Had he built smaller barns or bigger ones, it would not have changed 
God's response. God wasn't dealing with that. This was not an external problem. You can't fix it externally. And you can't create the problem externally either. So it wasn't that, that he was amassing wealth. If you have a skill or an ability in your life that, that people pay a lot of money for, you ought never feel like a second-class Christian in church. You, ought, you should not feel like a second-class Christian in church if you drive nice cars or have money because money is not the problem with money. And I'm going to say at the end of this parable, it's not necessarily the moral of the story to sell all your stuff tonight because you might die tomorrow. That's not it either. That's not the moral of the story. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you what one of my mentors, Dr. Mark Harris, who was just up here, one of my big mentors in my life, what he's, he calls your own private heresy. <laughs> so I'm going to give you my own private heresy on this. I am going to question whether or not this guy even physically died the next day. I mean, I'm not going to question openly, but I'm going to wonder if that even really matters, his physical death the next day. Because here's what we know, right? We know these people. They arrive right? People. We know people who arrived. They achieved their goal, their net worth, their possession, whatever they did not possess, they coveted, and then they finally possessed it. And they did this, right? They paused. They got to the summit of the mountain, and they paused, and they looked inward, maybe for the first time in their life. Maybe you did this. You pause, you look inward at your soul, and you say, soul, look at this. We've arrived. We've arrived, so listen, relax. We can finally relax. We can eat, we can drink for many years and, and we can be merry, right, soul? Soul, soul, wake up, soul. And they realize they're worse than dead. They believe that having is living, so they gave up living to get the having and they finally got the having and they're dead inside. They're, they're dead inside. Their soul is dead. And, and, and that's worse than being physically dead, right? There are people who think it is so awful, this, per, this state of existence, that they actually would prefer to be dead, and they do so. The suicide rates among people of Western, wealthy cultures versus impoverished people, it's not even in comparison. It's worse than being dead physically. It is walking dead because they thought having was living, and it's not. And now they don't know what they're living for. It's interesting he has a conversation with his soul. See, see, what, see what Jesus is doing there? It's a conversation with your soul. And some of us do this, right? From time to time, we just pause and we reflect. This is when you have conversations about your existence, the meaning of life. These are existential moments, and we all hit them because we all have souls. And we hit these moments, and he has a conversation. He says this, eat and drink and, be, and, and relax. Well, here's the problem with talking to your soul about those things, is your soul, its hunger is not met with food. We've all been very full and been so hungry, right? Right? Our, our soul's thirst is not quenched with wine or with water. It, physically, it's not. We've all drank a lot and been so thirsty. We know people who have taken a lot of vacations. They have got lots of free time and they are exhausted. Totally. Why? Because the soul doesn't rest or recline on beds or chairs. 
The soul gets its life from God. It's a spiritual thing. And it is not only given its life from, by God, but it is sustained and fed through the daily bread and the living water of Jesus Christ. That's it. And when will you wake up and realize you're a soul? You're more than just a belly with chemicals. You're a soul. And I bet you, you kind of know it. You kind of know it. You're full, but you're starving, right? And here's why. Because souls aren't made for pleasure. They're made for purpose. And some of us have a ton of pleasure. And we're exhausted. Why? But we have no purpose. And God gives you purpose. He breathes life into you. And he wants to keep you full and rich. And that's the end of this story. That's the last verse in this story is God's desire for you to be filthy, stinking, rich. Not poor, but rich, but truly rich. Jesus puts it like this. So this is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich, which is the goal, to be rich, but to be rich toward God. So here's the question for you and for me and for all of us. Here's what I want you to do before you go to work tomorrow or before you go to work tonight. I want you to have a conversation with your soul. Because you know what? When you have a conversation with your soul, I think, I think God does this. He loves to show up in those conversations because God's about, he wants to give life to the soul, the most important part of you, right? What was a good day? Gain the whole world and store a bunch of grain, lose your soul. So, so I think have a conversation with your soul. Just before you go to work tomorrow, say, why am I working? Soul. So what are, we, what are we storing up for? What do we want? Why are we doing this? What are we, what are we storing up, soul? What are we, what are, as our aim, what are we working toward? Are we being rich toward God? Or are we being rich toward pleasure? Are we being lied to by coveting and greed that having is living? Am I working to, to have to live? Why, Brian, do you want to be a good pastor and preacher? Is it because you want to be liked? You want to have influence? Is that why, Brian? Is that why you want that? I think God is sending a stop sign to all of us this morning. He's saying, don't go down that road. He's saying, stop, don't go down that road. It's a dead-end road, and if you get there, it'd be worse. You'll be dead. Don't do it. Turn around now. You turn. I know you don't feel like you're greedy, but it's always there, and you need to be on guard against it, and don't walk down the road of thinking, I don't deal with this, because that's the day when you'll walk down it, and you'll realize, I believe that having is living. I want to end with this. I um, was a few years ago, I was, uh, my wife and I were going to go on a cruise. We actually ended up going on a cruise. And uh, my dad, some of you know this, my dad has strong opinions about cruises. <laughs> he has strong opinions about everything, to be honest. <laughs> I can say that because he's in Israel today. <laughs> so... My dad's the senior pastor of the church, so he's, for those of you who don't know, why everybody's laughing. 
uh, we went on, we were going to look at cruises, we were looking at cruises, and the, uh, what I do is, you know, maybe you do this too, you look at reviews, you, what's the best one, you kind of look at the reviews, the ratings, and so uh, we were looking at um, different reviews, and I said, well, what if, what if we just looked at the most opulent, expensive cruise out there, and just look at the reviews, and we know what we want out of stuff, we know what we're missing, just to kind of see, compare, let's start there and work our way down. So I literally, as, as much as the internet machine could provide me, I tried to find the most expensive, opulent cruise. And I think I found it, and I was looking through the reviews, and I found a review that I'm, I wanted to save, and I saved it, and, um, and this is it. This is verbatim what the review said. The title of the review, because you have to give the review a title, was this. Good time, but hungry. It says this, I enjoyed the cruise, but at times, snacks were hard to come by. Around 2 or 3 a.m., it seemed that the cafe was closed, and therefore the only place to get a snack was at a cafeteria, which only had cookies, pastries, burgers, and pizza. I tried one slice and never went back for more. Here's a guy who's on the best that money could buy. He has access to unlimited food around him. He's surrounded by all kinds of entertainment and pleasure. He is literally on pleasure on water all the time. And yet he he has all the food that his heart could desire and want, and yet he is not satisfied. He's so unsatisfied, he takes the time to go online and write a review that is entirely about his discontentment. I in no way want to dismiss suffering in this life for anybody, Christian or non, it's hard. We should weep over suffering. Jesus cried while he was here. He's known as a man of sorrows. There is suffering. There is pain on this side of eternity, for sure. And I am under no delusion that we are not to leave reviews on God's message board about our needs. God says, bring me your needs. One of the most often asked questions in Jesus' ministry is, what can I do for you? He wants us to go and talk to him about our needs, our desires, our pains, our suffering. But let me tell you what a Christian is and what a Christian in reality is. This is, the, this is the moment, the stat. This is the moment, just like earlier in the message. This is the stat that is reality. It's not alternate reality. But when you become a Christian, you get on a boat. You get on the most opulent boat that money can buy, that money can't even buy. And it is straight to glory. And it is, it is all your soul ever needs. Everything you need is provided to you in Christ because of what he did on that cross. And you're sitting on it right now, whether you feel it or not. And I believe that covetousness or greed stands to rob you of reality. It wants to lie to you and tell you that you are not alive fully in Christ. He's not enough. That having is living. And when you don't have, you're not fully alive. And Jesus is waking up going, hey, no, you're alive. You have everything you need. And I think we break God's heart when, when we let this self-inflicted wound of covetousness and, and greed rob us of joy, because here's what it does. It lies to you. It tells you this. 
This is what this is what it does. It tells you that your next your next level of joy and contentment and and life is one one job promotion away, one more net worth away, one more degree away, one more relationship away. And the good news of the gospel is actually the truth is this that your next your next level is not out of your reach. It's right in your hand. It's it's right in your hands. The problem you can't let go. You can't you can't let it go. You can't give it to God to be rich toward God. It's it's this lie that if I let go, I let go of life. And let me tell you something, you can't let go. And the only way you can let go, this is the only way you can let go, is if you stare into the face of a God who is so deeply concerned about your opulent wealth. He wants you to be so rich. He wants you to be rich more than you want to be rich. And until he opens your eyes to see how badly he wants it, how badly he wants you to be rich, and how much he went so that you could be rich, 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 the 1% of the 1%, until you see that, oh, you can't, you can't let go. So my prayer for all of us is that not we give God 10%. (laughs) Because we have 100,000%. We don't need, we don't, he's given it all to our soul. We have everything we need. We don't own anything we've been given, especially anything that's good. But that we would gaze into the goodness of God, we would see how rich we are, that you would feel rich today, richer than actual rich, and that you would let go and be rich toward God. Let go of what you're holding on to in your storehouses and take hold of what is in God's storehouses for you. I promise they're better. Your soul does not feed on earthly possessions, but on heavenly purpose. That's what you were made for. Let's pray. Jesus, your word commands us to be cheerful givers. Lord, I I know today, we learned today that it's just because you want us to be cheerful. You want us to be so happy and genuinely full of joy in what our souls are feasting on, which is your love and your grace and your purpose. And so it's natural that we would be cheerful givers. So Lord, make us, make us cheerful givers because we are so cheerful about what you gave to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen.